Amen. Today we want to talk about the benefit of spiritual disciplines. And we're in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Disciplines are things that we do, uh, just like brushing your teeth. That's something we do each and every day. Uh, These disciplines can be either harmful, neutral, or they can be beneficial. Now, we know that smoking cigarettes is a harmful uh, habit to have. A discipline is a habit or a practice that that we uh, have in our lives. That's right. And this this is a spiritual discipline that we need to uh, embrace and nurture along the way. We'll read some passages here in a minute. But in addition to harmful habits, some are neutral and neither good, accomplishing neither good nor bad results. Sitting in the same seat at church is an example of a habit that, that's neutral. Uh, in your book, it talks about uh, Michelangelo wore the same clothes for days on end, didn't like taking a bath, but he lived to be almost 90 years old. Voltaire drank 40 to 50 cups of coffee a day. And you think that that would be bad for you, but he he lived to be an old man too. So it just depends on the person. Spiritual habits can be harmful, neutral, or beneficial as well. Now, spiritual disciplines are those habits that produce beneficial results in daily living. Without the proper spiritual disciplines in your life, your growth in Christ can be stunted. Instead of becoming more like Jesus, believers who neglect the spiritual disciplines will find themselves looking more like the world around them. And that's just what Satan's out out for, is to draw us away from the Lord, draw us away from coming on Sundays, draw us away from taking the time to pray uh, in the morning, interacting with our brothers and sisters, reading and studying the Bible. Satan don't want you to do that. So it's a discipline. It's just like everyone in here probably at one time or another has tried to lose weight. Me and Bill have been trying, and you're probably doing much better than I am at it. But it's a struggle. It's not easy. But the benefit is going to be worth it all. And the benefit of our spiritual disciplines are also going to be worth it all, not only in this life, but in the life to come. This session introducing the unit on spiritual disciplines begins with a bird's eye view of the disciplines. Like the body needs to work out of several different machines at the gym, the spirit needs these disciplines in order for the believer to grow stronger in faith. 
I watched a show yesterday about a young boy that had Down syndrome, and he became an Ironman athlete. He trained for it and eventually ran the Ironman. The disciplines, the exercises that he had to do uh, were with swimming and endurance in that. A 112-mile bike ride, which he also had to use a different set of muscles to prepare for that. And then last of all, the 26.2-mile marathon would be using another set of uh, muscles and the discipline that he had to do to be able to do that. And he did make it. He made it through. Painful. And sometimes our, our disciplines, what we need to do, are uh, things that we don't feel like doing. We'd rather do something else than pray. I'd rather do something else than read the Bible. But we're encouraged here in Scripture to get these disciplines in our life and, and to practice them. Beginning in chapter 4, where we're at this morning of 1 Timothy, Paul addressed a growing problem in the church, and that was people that were walking away from their faith, possibly because of the false teachers mentioned earlier in the letter and the need for stronger leadership mentioned in the chapter 3. Some people were responding to a growing threat of persecution by walking away from the faith and embracing a different gospel, which was actually no gospel at all, because there is only one good news gospel, and that is uh, Jesus Christ. Without proper discipline, the temptation to follow the false teachers would have been much stronger, and the believer's focus on Christ would have been much weaker. The apostle therefore encouraged spiritual growth in Christ through the practice of spiritual discipline. Satan is at work spreading false doctrine, and his ministers are already in the church. God's servants must preach the truth and fight the devil's lies. Declaring war may not make us popular, but it will keep us faithful. And a little commentary here on verses 6 through 10. Hi, Terry. Good to see you, brother. You're right on time. If believers would put as much effort into the spiritual life as they do the recreation and hobbies, what a difference it would make. Physical exercise is important, but spiritual exercise is even more essential. Both discipline and devotion are needed to make a winning athlete and an effective, and, and effective Christian. Let's go ahead and read some verses if someone would like to.
Okay, let's stop right there. We'll talk about these verses for a moment, and then we'll move on. The first question they ask in here, what are some odd habits that you've observed in, in other people? Some people cut the crust off their bread. Do you know anybody that does that? That's what I, I always thought, too. Some people do have odd, it mentions in your book of feeling to make sure you got your car keys in your pocket when you've already just put them there. I'm kind of OCD on making sure of that sometimes. I'm with you there, Jim. And sometimes I kind of panic because I maybe put them in the other pop, pocket. Uh, by mistake. Whatever God calls good, the world seeks to distort. Jesus forewarned the disciples that they would have suffering in this world and that they would be hated for his, his sake. Due to the reality of false teachers, the Apostle John encouraged believers to test the Spirit to see if they were from God. What's the best way to guard against false teaching? Absolutely. Know the truth. I told the story in here about taking my test for my uh, CD, and we had an example of the test questions. And it's a multiple choice answers. But what you want to do, study the right answer. And when you take the test, you'll recognize the right answer, and you won't get tripped up by, by the other ones that are worded just trickily to uh, trip you up. Study the right answer. So we study the right answer uh, in the Word of God. In this specific instance, some of the church at Ephesus apparently were giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The seducing spirits were most likely the false teachers who were troubling the Ephesian church. Go ahead, Ronnie. When you're a young Christian, you need someone uh, in disciple training, just like what Terry did with his class for uh, the younger Christians, to teach them how to read the Bible and study the Bible, where they should start uh, studying. I would, Brother Orby, I asked uh, when I first got saved, and he said to start reading in the book of John. And it will tell you everything about Jesus Christ. And you can read in, in the Psalms and Proverbs. Go ahead, Bill.
got caught up in it. You remember in the Springfield paper, they used to have the horoscope in there every day. It was usually back there on the same page as the comics or somewhere in there. I, I remember reading that years ago. Just uh, didn't know any better. But I didn't get up, caught up in it, uh, following it like, like some people do. Ronnie. It's, it's witchcraft and sorcery, and we're, we're not to commune uh, with uh, spirits like that. Talking about the latter times, that is, refers to the time period from Christ's earthly ministry until the end of this age. We are living in the latter times right now. Paul notes that the Holy Spirit expressly warned that during this time period, some shall depart from the faith. And, and we see it happening. How many churches in this community or here in Springfield have either split or closed the doors? I think there's a Baptist church right up here on the corner of Sunset. I don't know if they still have services there or not, but I remember that being a thriving church uh, when we were young. They shall depart from their faith. Now here's the question. Can believers lose their salvation? And the answer to this question is no. In the Gospel of John, Jesus taught that he gave eternal life to those who heed his voice and follow him. No one is able to snatch believers out of either his hand or God the Father's hand. From John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. In Philippians 1, 6, God, or, uh, Paul tells us that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. I, I, I think that's my life verse in Philippians 4.13. Because when I think of that, I know that I can't keep myself and I can't live this Christian life without Jesus holding my hand and directing my life. Does that mean that I'm, I'm perfect? No. I still uh, fall I fail, but it says that all true believers will endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never fall away from the state of grace that shall preserve them. Believers, Terry, by the Holy Spirit, amen.
there's the thought, too, that those who walk away or fall away from their faith were never really saved in the first place. Is that right? Bill. On that note here, Bill, go ahead, Terry. I've got something on that here that I'll read in a second. Go ahead, Jim. right. Believe. That too is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts too because we can't we can't save ourselves the holy spirit works on our heart to bring us to that point of confession and repentance bill
Yes. That's powerful. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impairing their uh, graces and comfort, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgment on themselves. Yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Although true believers cannot lose their salvation, we need to be vigilant lest we be deceived and led astray by false teachers. What were they trying to do in the Ephesian church? They were talking about marriage, and they were talking about food. Now, as the apostle wrote this letter to Timothy, the pastor of the church in Ephesus the church was under attack from ascetics who prohibited people from getting married. The covenant of marriage is God's good gift, and his people should celebrate it. Jesus himself endorsed marriage, the joining together of one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship. Indeed, the setting of Jesus' inaugural uh, public ministry was at a wedding feast. And also with food. The deceivers also will demand that the people abstain from eating certain foods, meats which God hath created for them to eat. In the Garden of Eden, God allowed Adam and Eve to eat fruit of every tree of the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. While the Old Testament law restricted the children of Israel from eating some animals, from Deuteronomy chapter 14, God later clarified that Peter was free to eat anything God hath cleansed. And that's in Acts uh, chapter 10, verse 15. When we replace God with rules, in attempting to become righteous, we fall into error. We are, fall, are moving away from salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. These false teachers were forbidding marriage and demanding people abstain from cer certain foods. The Christian life is not merely a list of do's and don'ts. Go ahead, Ronnie.
it tells us here too, Ronnie, that all types of food may be eaten if they are received with an attitude of thankfulness toward the Creator who provided them. Before we get too far ahead, let's read some more verses, or I'll, I'll run us right out of time, and we won't even get to the left. Okay, we'll stop right there for, for a minute. Well, I started to say the Christian life is not merely a series of do's and don'ts, a checklist of behaviors. A believer is to either accomplish or avoid. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. But the initial conversion of a person is merely the starting point of a life of faith in Christ. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, and behavior, from Matthew chapter 22. Galatians 5.16 tells us that this I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That all food is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. The word of God here refers to the message of the gospel of Christ. Now Jesus himself declared, and he said, saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever things from without entereth into the man? It cannot defile him because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the drought, drought, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. I don't think there was anything left out there. Sanctification by the word of God, which is scripture. And prayer has meaning not for just what we eat, but for everything in our lives. Sanctification, a definition of it, it's the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God 
and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. When you first got saved, were there certain things that you maybe still struggled with? I did. I still struggled with drinking for about six months. But during that process of sanctification, that's no longer a problem for me. That's no longer a stronghold in my life. That's what sanctification is what happens to us after justification. Glorification will take place when we enter into Jesus' presence. But this process from being justified and saved up to we go to heaven or die, that's the sanctification process that we go through. So we're to move forward in that process and not stay the same. And that requires us to practice these spiritual disciplines. And that's how we get stronger spiritually, just like you do get stronger physically if you go and work out every day and exercise those muscles. We exercise our spiritual muscle by these disciplines. It's pretty clear to me, the understanding. The training that we must go through spiritually and able to endure to the end. Go ahead, Ronnie. The reference of what you're talking about right there, Ronnie, in these passages are referred to as profane and old wives' wives, uh, fables. The first term emphasizes spiritually empty, godless nature of such teachings. It's hooey. There's nothing to it. But uh, the second term, such teaching as being absurd, not worthy of serious consideration. And what does Paul tell him to do? Refuse it. And that means don't enter into a discussion with people about it. Get away from it. You're not to even enter into a debate with people over that kind of stuff. You're to walk away. And why, why is it a good thing to walk away? 
hey, you know people are some smooth talkers, and they can talk you right into accepting that or believing it or questioning it. So don't even enter into a discussion about it. Stay away from it. We find truth in God's word, not in these hearsays and these old old traditions and, and things that have no spiritual uh, backbone about them. Let's see, we got a couple more verses, don't we? First Timothy chapter four, verse seven. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. That is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For there must, therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Does that mean that all men are saved? No. That's a speaking against universalism, is God the keeper of all men and, and the provider and the sustainer of all men? Through creation, he does. But only those who accept and believe on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be saved. Talking about the the feelings are not of primary importance in the pursuit of the goal. Remember what we said our goal was. I'm trying to hurry here, and I hate to omit some of this stuff. Spiritual growth ultimately happens through the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit. Christians have a role to play in their own spiritual growth. Believers need to continually work in both learning biblical truth and applying that truth to their lives. That's your thoughts, your words, and behavior. In obedience to God and through the power of his indwelling Holy Spirit. The various spiritual disciplines include the study of God's word. Oh, this is even in here. Time and fellowship with God through personal prayer and corporate worship and fellowship serve to aid believers in this constant daily pursuit of godliness. Iron sharpeneth iron. I'm greatly encouraged every time that I come on Wednesday or Sunday in my interaction with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I get a blessing in speaking to you and being around you. I, it, it makes you feel good. It strengthens you spiritually. 
And in knowing, we, we said that may, maybe you had a rough week. Maybe some things happened. Well, maybe someone else in here had a rough week as well. And we can encourage each other and offer prayer for each other. And nobody left behind. He ain't been here for a while, so I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, pick up the phone and give him a call. Uh, encourage him. The practice of godliness can affect not only the various aspects of this life, but also the, has eternal benefits. Godliness has the potential of impacting all actions, experiences, and relationships for good. Say you get into a situation or somebody wants to argue with you. Them bracelets that were out years ago. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus handle this? And, and try to practice that. Believers should have one goal. Just like somebody's goal to lose 30 or 40 pounds or the, the goal to maybe get in better shape, uh, to be, be stronger, say, physically, should be to know God through Jesus Christ and demonstrate a love for him and a love of other people in how we live. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people and discipling believers in the Christian faith. The reason that we labor and strive pursuing godliness, why would we want to do that? Think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. right and be ye perfect too doesn't that mean also Jim to not be perfect in that sense but perfect as in being complete okay Yes, we would. We wouldn't even need this Sunday school book. Uh, Jeannie.
solved. Bueno. Amen. You know, people, you can know it academically. You can read it like, like a book. But when you read it and allow it to change you and transform you, then that's, and, and get it in your heart, that, that's the goal that we have. When we practice spiritual disciplines, we open ourselves up to God's working in us so that he can produce godliness in us. As important as spiritual disciplines are, our confidence is not in the spiritual discipline. Our confidence and hope are in God who is working through our obedience to conform us into Christ's image. While we cannot manufacture godliness on our own, God will use our discipline training to produce godliness in our lives. And that's a work of God in our hearts. If we do what he's instructed us to do, he'll take care of the rest. And just like I said, these old strongholds, these old habits, these old ways will begin to lose their power over you. They won't be a problem anymore because you're growing in the Lord and he can miraculously take those old, old habits and old ways away from you. I'm out of time. I'm trying to not run over to, I don't want to get in trouble. Glenn might get out.